Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord God, author of our great story, open our hearts and minds this day to the truth you revealed through the words of Jesus. Through your spirit, make these readings come alive, not only in our imagination, but in the work of our daily lives, till all the world reflects your kingdom. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think? If someone had 100 sheep and one of them wandered off, wouldn't he leave the 99 on the hillsides and go in search for the one that had wandered off? If he finds it, I assure you that he is happier about having that one sheep than about the 99 who didn't wander off. In the same way, my Father who is in heaven doesn't want to lose one of those little ones. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think I've shared with you all before that I grew up uh, in the woodlands. I uh, went to um, seminary at Duke University and found myself sent out over the summer uh, of my first year at Duke to be a pastoral intern in a small rural church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, in that small rural community, I got to live with Steve and Myra. Both Steve and Myra were professionals who uh, drove into Charlotte every day for work, but on the weekends, you've heard of weekend warriors, they were weekend farmers. Uh, they had about 50 head of sheep and about 10 cattle. They lived on the family homestead that uh, Myra's uh, parents and grandparents had owned. It was a beautiful, historic home. Uh, it had a barn out uh, from it and pastures surrounding it. Outside, it looked like a, a typical, older, um, uh, very majestic home, but older. When you walked inside, the Myra had decorated it with all of the pieces of heritage and history that she had found um, uh, laying around the barn. Uh, one of them was a huge wooden thresher uh, that I only could imagine her grandfather using in the field. He mounted it up, or she mounted it up on the wall. Um, oftentimes, I felt like I was in an ep uh, issue of better homes and gardens as I lived in their house. Uh, the first weekend that was free, uh, they told us, told me, uh, we're going to work with the sheep today. Um, you're welcome to do whatever you want to, but today we're going to worm the sheep. And I said, with all of my enthusiasm and um, <laughs> ignorance, I said, great, I want to help out. Sidebar, don't help out, right? <laughs> Not a good thing. It, uh, I would describe it, but it just wouldn't be appropriate for worship. I remember one day in the middle of my internship, I was sitting at my desk in the basement of the church. They, uh, are, uh, they only had one office and that was for the, the real, pa I mean the senior pastor. Uh, and uh, I was in the basement. I had made all my visits. I had written all my notes. I would, had done all the work that I could do. I was sitting there reading a book, waiting for the end of the day and I get a phone call. Hey Peter, uh, one of Steve and Myra's cows have gotten out of the pasture. You need to go and check. And I thought to myself, how? And it's almost like the voice on the other end of the phone knew that I was asking how, and they said, you do own a pickup truck, remember? 
just drive the fence line, find where the hole is, and the cow should just be on the other side. And I thought to myself, my truck was never meant to go in a pasture. I didn't buy it for that. I mean, come on. We buy Texas Cadillacs not to go in the field. Well, I, I'm going to have to re-wax my car after that. <laughs> so I drove the fence line, um, found the hole, uh, found the cow, and I realized to myself as I was trying to get this cow back through the hole in the fence line that they don't respond well to logic. I mean, you just can't say, hey, buddy, you're outside the fence go back in. Uh, eventually, Steve showed up. He'd come home from work uh, early, and we together got the cow into the fence, uh, inside the pasture, and we worked on the fence. I, I just remember him saying, Peter, don't ever touch the fence. It's electrified. And so I'm glad that Steve came back, right? So many opportunities for things to go wrong. Have you ever found yourself in a strange place, being called to find a lost item and to bring it back? Uh, have you ever um, struggled, right? I remember as a kid, my dad would be on top of the ladder working on something uh, near the uh, gutters, and he'd say, hey, Pete, go and get the special hammer that's on the toolbox inside the garage, not on the right, but on the left. I'm sure you'll see it. And I never did, right? Maybe you've had that experience of losing something and working so hard to find it. Our scripture passage today talks about uh, a parable that Jesus tells uh, about uh, the role of the shepherd. Now, parables have this paradoxical piece. Uh, they, they never make sense. They're not always kind of in that worldly logical sense, but they make sense in terms of the gospel, that gospel logic. And so Jesus asks the question, who, if they had lost a sheep, would leave the 99 to go look for the one? Now, the crowd that was gathered to hear that parable would have said a resounding no one, right? Because the shepherd's whole job was to keep the flock intact, to make sure that the flock had good food and good water, right? This is the whole point of the 23rd Psalm. He leads me by uh, uh, quiet waters in green pastures. But here, Jesus is proposing that a shepherd, a shepherd who, who owned the sheep, a shepherd who was caring for his livelihood, would leave the 99 and go look for the one. Let me put this in terms that we understand here. Would anyone give up their stock options for their retirement to go and get a $100 bill that was left on the floor? No one would leave the bulk of their ownings, disown ourselves from them, so as to find a uh, $100 bill on the sidewalk. Um, here, Jesus is asking them about uh, the logic of the gospel. He's saying that, that God is a shepherd. Uh, this is an image that works well with the Bible. Uh, his crowd would have known that um, the uh, images in Exodus uh, are laden with shepherd images of God leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. That Isaiah references God as the great shepherd who carries the helpless lambs in his arms. That Ezekiel talks about the prophetic word where God will be like a shepherd who scatters, who gathers up the scattered flock and makes them whole again. Even when uh, the prophet goes looking for a king, uh, what credentials does David have to run a whole nation to be a king? It's because he was a shepherd. 
When we think about images of shepherds, they uh, work very well. They dovetail very well with images of God. And so Jesus is uh, encouraging, asking, helping us to think through about what it means to be part of God's flock. Now in verse 12 and 13, uh, the Greek word uh, used for astray says that when the lambs or the sheep go astray, when they are uh, geographically displaced, as the commentary said, um, the shepherd goes and finds them. But the lesson, verse 14, talks about how um, it is important for our heavenly father uh, to bring us back to the flock or we might perish. It's not just being geographically lost, but that there is an identity of being part of the flock. Uh, Being part of the flock is uh, one of those identity descriptors that one cannot do on their own. I cannot be a whole flock of sheep by myself, right? Now, there's probably caveats to everything, right? Uh, But uh, having others makes us a flock together. It's like um, being able to say that you are a mother or a father. Uh, Unless someone refers to you that way, it is hard to identify yourself in the absence of someone else who uses the name for you. Uh, Or if you are the boss, but have no one working for you. How are you the boss if no one is working for you or listening to you either? It's a dyad identification. To be part of the flock means that we must be together. When we look at the application, when we look at how this uh, impacts our lives, we are reminded uh, that there are many people who come and go in the midst of the flock What do you do when someone new sits on your pew? I remember uh, the first church that I served, um, the uh, response to someone sitting on your pew would be, get out of my pew. (laughs) But when you think about it, how many times have you wandered through a a church, not ever to be noticed by the flock? How often have you uh, visited on vacation and it was as if no one saw you, you were invisible to all of them? or more painfully, maybe it was going back to the home church that you were raised in, and no one greeted you, no one remembered you. It was almost as if they didn't care. You see, uh, the flock has to um, uh, absorb and care and take care of. The, the, The idea of having a high expectation that we don't just come for ourselves and sit in our seats alone, but we recognize that the shepherd of the flock has laid down his life for us. And so our meaning and purpose of being in the pews is not for our own good, but rather to be a part of the flock, to listen for the voice of the shepherd, to follow where the shepherd leads. The story of the lost sheep is about as illogical as the story of the lost coin. In the story of the lost coin, a woman has 10 coins and she loses one and she lights a lamp and she looks everywhere to look for that coin. And once she finds that coin, she calls all of her friends, invites them to come and have a party. Most commentators would say that the cost of the party far exceeded uh, the, uh, the amount of the money that the coin represented. That doesn't make sense to throw a party for finding a coin, but the party costs more than the coin is worth. But this is the logic of the gospel, that every guest, every newcomer, every strange face is someone who's about to become brother or sister in the flock. 
that anyone, regardless of uh, what they look like or where they work or where they live, uh, when they wander through God's house, they are welcomed as newfound friends. What do you do when someone doesn't show up on your pew? Studies say that there are four reasons why people um, uh, either quit going to church or arrive at church. They're called the four Ds. Uh, Oftentimes people quit attending church after a divorce or after a death of a loved one or after a disruption in their lives, like um, uh, 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 being laid off uh, or having a change in work status. And lastly, um, they are most likely to quit attending church after a diagnosis. Notice that when people disappear, um, it would be helpful if those are the four basic reasons they disappear for us to show up on their doorstep, for us to call, for us to leave the 99 and go find the one and begin to invite them back. Now, I don't know about you, but in uh, my house growing up, we were good Southern Methodists. You never called attention to anyone else's faults because that was inappropriate. You would, might, maybe my mother would say, well, bless their heart, right? But you never went any further than that. But you see, saying bless their heart doesn't give a chance for us to go and find them and invite them back. When we always talk about um, the issues and circumstances of other folk in the flock through hushed whispers behind doors, or um, um, you know, we scan the prayer list to figure out what the good gossip might be. Not that y'all would do that. That would be a different church, right? But when we only do our caregiving through those ways, we never have a chance to do what the good shepherd did, which was to go and find the flock and to bring them back. I think it's interesting that those four basic uh, experiences, those four Ds, are also the reasons why people come to church for the first time. It's because a divorce has happened, uh, or uh, a death in the family, uh, or a disruption in their lives, or a diagnosis of their own. We seek out hope. We long for a group that will care for us. We really don't want to be individuals alone in a crowd sitting on a pew. I think it's interesting when we look at Wesleyan church history, uh, John and Charles Wesley, their uh, church, the English church, the Anglican church, uh, believed in predestination. Uh, They believed that um, God had picked uh, before all time who would go to heaven and who would not. And so when they sat as church on Sunday mornings, those who were predestined, well, they were y'all, they were filling the pews. If you weren't inside the church, We're not gonna expend any effort to get you there because God picked a long time ago and who are we to extend an invitation to a party that's not our own? But see, there is a fallacy. There are some cultural clues uh, that made that not so true. You see, we we enjoy the benefits of a 40-hour work week and the benefit of public education. But in John and Charles's day, Uh, there was no 40-hour work week. And so quite often, the only people who could attend church on Sunday mornings were those people who did not have to directly work for their own living. But if you were living uh, hand-to-mouth, if you were living week-to-week, you were in the line to work in the coal mines, or you were working uh, in uh, the shops in town, you were working for the money that would buy the bread and pay the rent for that day. And so every day required work. Those who sat in the pews on Sunday morning Those were the affluent, the privileged, the entitled. 
John Wesley begins some of his Methodist movement by going out and preaching out of doors. This was not only illegal, but also really uh, not appropriate. You see, the, the word of God should only be spoken inside of a church, a holy place. And so once he was chastised by preaching to those headed to the mines, he decided that he'd stand on the one piece of property that he owned, and it was the grave of his father, and he stood on top of the headstone and proclaimed the gospel to those who were walking early in the morning to the mines. You see, we have such a great identification with what happens outside these windows that in every sanctuary that Chapelwood has had, this being the third, that there's been a cross outside the windows that signifies to you all that Jesus is outside of this building, caring for the least and the last and the lost, and that after worship, we're to go and find where Jesus is and to care right alongside Jesus for those who are hungry, those who are sick, and those who are imprisoned. What would it be like if we also added to that list of expectations, not just to go and care for others without something in return, but to go and find our brothers and sisters, to go ahead and speak a word of grace and comfort, to be the kind of church that when somebody goes missing, we don't whisper about them, but instead we go and find them and invite them back home. Now, um, it's interesting that in uh, seminary, they told us the way that you get inactives to come back to church is you go find the Baptist church that's nearest you and you switch inactive roles with the Baptist church. And then both of you call those switched inactive roles. Now there's two things they told us would happen. One, the Methodist pastor would call the Baptist inactive person and they would be so offended that that moderate Methodist pastor had called them that they'd immediately go back next Sunday to the the Baptist church. Or the Methodist pastor calls the Baptist inactive and they, are, um, uh, they fall, fall in love with the idea uh, of a pastor who calls and invites them to come. Now there's no difference between uh, each pastor, right? We all do the same thing, but it's interesting that that little extension of grace and love might trump all denominational loyalty that at the end of the day, those who uh, don't just wear the t-shirt that says, what would Jesus do, but rather do the actions of what Jesus would do might attract those, not so that we can have more people or more money or more things, but so that we might be the flock, the community that God's called us together. Now, oftentimes, I think about solutions that are one, 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 right? So I'm going to call this person, I'm going to call that person, I'm going to call this person, I'm going to call that person. But it's really kind of a strange way to think about it. And really, uh, most folk, when they get a, a call from the pastor or the caller ID says uh, from the church, um, it goes to voicemail, right? <laughs> oh, there's that pastor. He's going to ask me to chair something or volunteer for something, right? But when you call, they say, oh, it's my friend. It's my brother. It's my sister. You see, um, instead of going one by one by one, we want to affect all of the interlocking relationships. If I wanna change a room, let's say I'm a popcorn salesman and I wanna sell some popcorn bags, I don't go one by one by one and ask you if you'd like some popcorn, but instead I just start making that popcorn and the smell of butter and salt and popcorn, it infects the whole room 
Before long, I can't give it away fast enough. Maybe even just talking about hot buttered popcorn makes your stomach growl as we get closer to noon. You see, what we need is not um, changed um, individual lives. What we need is a sense of the gospel that calls us to care, that helps us to reach out from polite, friendly relationships to those kinds of deep relationships that we can call at three in the morning and say, uh, dad just died. Or to say, she finally, she left me and I'm alone. Or, or, or to say, you know, they finally cut me loose at the plant. Or to say, you know what, the doctor called and they said it was cancer. You see, those types of relationships, those are leave the 99 and find the one. Those are the kinds of relationships that we go looking for the lost and we don't judge them, but rather we rejoice that God has found us all and brought us to this place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, there, if you're a guest here today, there's a guest table right out to the right. Uh, um, uh, there'll be somebody there uh, to help you with any questions that you might have. And also, if, um, if today's the day that you feel called to join this congregation, it's going to make this place your home. I hope that you'll come down during our closing song, uh, which will be coming up in just a second. Again, be sure to grab your sheep on the way out. Why don't you grab a hand uh, with someone next to you that we might share together in the benediction. Almighty God, we give thanks that when we were lost, you came looking for us. Lord, inspire us to do as you did, to go and find others, that they might find the great joy that we have in this place that is to be shared with all. Lord, we give thanks that you are one who searches out the lost. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.